Hi, I'm Tim Marlowe, the Artistic Director of the Royal Academy of Arts in London. You're listening to a podcast from our events programme recorded live in the new Benjamin West Lecture Theatre. Uh, good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Royal Academy this evening. Um, I, this is called the Reynolds Room. I always like to point out that at the back there's a little plaque that says this is the room where Darwin first delivered the origin of the species, so you're in a, a great historic room. He didn't do that on behalf of the Royal Academy, of course, because we don't deal with nature. Um, I'm here to introduce this um, in conversation, um, and I wanted to um, say a couple of things, which first, it's about two exhibitions. Um, it's about... Mali's beautiful exhibition next door in the Tenant Gallery. And also it's about another uh, exhibition that's on at the moment. And you can see after this, because we're up until 10 o'clock tonight, in the other building where she's made a selection from the Royal Academy collection. Um, and Mali and Martha are going to talk about both of those exhibitions. Um, it's quite a long way from here to there. It, we've, it's been a learning we have people here who I think we have to make, she said, we, we asked, what, what are the learnings from that? One of the learnings we've had is actually to do a sort of related exhibition at completely opposite ends of the building. Might not work very well for visitors, but I would urge you to take the journey through the building to the other side. And Mally's beautiful selection from the collection is hiding behind the copy of The Last Supper. Um, so that's one thing. The second thing is we're, uh, the, the Royal Academy's collaboration with Mally also includes this fabulous book, um, and after there will be um, a signing of the book and the signing of the book is in what we call Gallery X, which is basically the back room of the shop that used to be called Gallery 10. And it has the advantage that while you're waiting for it to be signed, because I'm sure there'll be a queue, there is a bar in there as well. So go there for a drink and a signing. And then after you've done that, don't forget to go and see both of Mally's exhibitions. Um, Mally and Martha are going to talk for about um, an hour I'm not going to say very much at all about Mali because that's the point of the conversation. Um, I want to say three things about Mali, uh, slightly parochial things about why it was wonderful working with her. Um, the first one is that a common experience we have in my department, it was my team who worked with Mali on the show, is that artists who work on a very large scale get into conversations with us about doing exhibitions in that very small room you came through. And Mally often works on a very large scale. And that's not only a very small room, it has two windows and five doors in it. It's a very special room, and if you work with the room properly, you can do something wonderful, as Mally has done. So one of the things that was wonderful is that Mally absolutely got straight away what would work in that room as often academicians do that we work, but not always. And one of the things that became very clear in early conversations with Mali is that basically the room has three sections. There's the wall opposite you to go in, there's the wall on the left and the wall on the right. And so Mali brilliantly selected three groups of works on paper that I think, and this was part of the discussion, they're there as individual works, but they're also in a way each is a, an installation of work. So the groupings are really important and Mali really got that. So, in a way, that's the second three. The first three, the first of the three was um, 
she understood the potential of the room and the limitations. And the other thing was that she did it in three parts, which is the best way to deal with the room. The, th the final reason it was absolutely brilliant to work with Mali is she's the most brilliantly organized artist on earth. And uh, it's, it was absolutely phenomenal. I mean, we have things we need to work through when we do shows, and there's far more than you ever imagine. I've worked here for three and a half years, and I still can't quite believe how astonishingly complicated everything is. You, you would not believe it. But every single thing, before we approached Mally about it, she had um, got it on her list to talk about and thought about it, and it was absolutely a delight to work with her. Um, Martha, too, who I didn't work at all directly with, and I've only met properly for the first time tonight, but Martha, um, at Mally's suggestion, wrote the wonderful essay in this little um, gallery guide um, which some people in the Royal Academy think we're being much too generous in not only doing a free display, but giving away this lovely booklet. But Mally was very modest in her other costs, so we could afford it. Um, and Martha wrote a wonderful essay about the, um, the two shows linking them, the show of Mally's work and the selection. And it's, um, it's a wonderful piece of writing. It's incredibly hard to write about art, and I don't do it. I can't do it. I mean, it's easy to write art history about art, it's easy to write art theory about art, and it's easy to write what one in the business calls art bollocks about art, and there's enormous amounts of that around, and none of it gets you any closer to a work of art. And what um, I like to say, actually, art's a visual language, so you shouldn't really write about it. That's how I get away with not writing about it. Martha took on the challenge with Mallys, and it's absolutely brilliant. It's, a really, um, it's really made me look at and understand what Mal is looking at much more. Um, and it's, there is one word of jargon. I spotted the word habitus, but she, Martha explains it so concisely and clearly. I know now exactly what that means, so it's not jargon at all. Um, it's a beautifully clear piece of art writing that makes you look closer. So I really urge you to read it and look again at the art. And I'm just going to do a tiny bit of biog of Martha, and then I'm going to hand over to them. So Martha Kapos is a poet born in the States and came to London as an art student in the 60s. Mally actually clearly has a much more 60s side than you'd ever know, a much wilder early life, it's become clear to me, and I imagine Martha has also had one. It's a, you know, I grew, I grew up in the mid-70s and I thought we were like wild, but no way at all <laughs> compared to the 60s. Uh, her professional life has brought together writing and the visual arts. She taught at Chelsea College of Art, where she met Mally. Um, and she became assistant poetry editor of Poetry London. Her first collection of poems uh, 16 years ago in 2003 was a Jerwood Alderborough Prize winner, Alderborough Prize winner, and two subsequent books have received Poetry Book Society recommendations, and you can also buy copies of those in the RA shop after you've bought your signed copy of Mally's book. So uh, you've had quite enough from me, and so I'm going to hand over to Mally and Martha. Thank you. Um, I just want to, I'm just going to begin by saying that uh, there was one, th one thing in, in Sam Cornish's wonderful book about Mali that was very striking, and that is that he, he said that Mali's paintings, and I think you get that impression when you, when you actually walk through the room and see them next door, um, they give the impression of coming into being the moment they are seen and qu quoting from Albert Marquet, who is, um, of whom Mally's a great fan, um, she said that, they, that his paintings represent a constant here and a constant now. Um, and 
Sam commented that that was very much uh, the same qualities that applied to Malley's paintings. So the theme of immediacy was a kind of rubric for the two shows. Uh, and and I, I think um, the first thing I'm going to ask is really um, if you could say something about what the two shows have in common from the point of view of immediacy. Yes, I was um, invited, first of all, to have the tenant room to, to show my own work in. And um, Morris has uh, uh, sort of introduced uh, my hour. It was a collaboration with people in the department. Um, my approach to that, um, three walls suggested three groups. Um, it coincided with my having acquired a, a, a new, well, a second-hand new plan chest for the studio, which meant um, looking into boxes and old drawers to get out work to put in this new plan chest. And in doing that, I discovered all sorts of works on paper that I hadn't seen for decades. Um, and it, I was thinking about the, the, the show, and somehow or another, it's, it kind of seemed obvious that to me that I would like to see some of these works um, collected together in groups and framed. Um, they hadn't been seen before. And so I set about laying them out in the studio and finding groups that seemed to work. Um, I worked visually. There was no particular logic to it other than what seemed to make sense and how they could inform each other. And at the studios where I work in, um, it's Art in Perpetuity Trust, a rather mouthful for known everybody, everybody knows it as APT. Um, we have studios there, but also a gallery. And rarely, but I was lucky, the gallery is sometimes available. Um, and I used it for a couple of days to make a sort of mock-up of that room, just a corner of this big space. And so um, Morris is right, installing them, um, having some sense of what, what this group would be was important. So um, not long after I'd been thinking about that, um, it, and Morris suggested um, that I could do this selection from the collection in a very different space, which seemed a um, wonderful invitation. <laughs> um, and then I found out just how big the collection is. <laughs> thousands and thousands of works and so I think I've written in in one of the booklets um where on earth to start I uh, it was like looking for something in a haystack but not knowing what that something might be and um I sat down with Annette Wickham who's in the department the, the collections department and um is a curator there and knows a great deal about the collection and by now, a lot of it is digital, so we were able to sit down and look at the screen and see all these things kind of moving in front of us. And every now and again, I would say, that one. Um, so I didn't have an agenda. I didn't have a, a kind of notion. Of, I just, just sort of put my hand up when I liked something. And um, bit by bit, I think we both intuited, realized that what I was liking um, were things that had immediacy, drawings or um, uh, studies, 
And then, of course, the room itself, the, the, the cabinet, um, is similar size to the tenant gallery. And so that meant that I was looking for small things, not because there are very big things in the collection. So very slowly, it, it was narrowed down in this way. And um, seeing some of the very unexpected things in the collection, sort of memorabilia and bits and bobs, um, things that had been sort of left um, bequeathed to the, the, the academy, but uh, you know, when, when boxes were sorted through, there might have been shopping lists in there or doodles, as, as just as much as uh, valuable works. And, and so this interested me, the fact that um, immediacy could apply to just a bit of handwriting or just some doodles on the side of an agenda in a meeting. And that often these, these, um, these marks and um, images um, had great, um, well, more than charm and quality. And so that's, that's how that's how the ideas were formed. And then, of course, I had to narrow it down from hundreds to some. <laughs> and I found um, on one visit to the, um, the store, where some of the works are stored on the edge of London, um, constable studies, which I've always absolutely loved and couldn't quite believe the privilege of being able to say, <laughs> I'll have that one, that one. And I knew that that would be the first work that I would hang. It was the, it was the, <clears throat> the uh, rainstorm. These images are going to come up slowly behind. Uh, we're not talking about the images. They're there really as a backdrop, but the rainstorm is one of them. I'm not sure when it's going to come up. Perhaps it has. Um, and so um, then came the hang. Um, the hang in there was dictated already by what I decided in the studio and in the gallery in Deptford. But we left it very, very open for the hang in, in the cabinet, um, just starting with the constable. And somehow we wanted to coax out this theme of um, immediacy without being didactic in any mm. way about it. It was just a quality, a mm. character. Mm. But, it, but the fact is that it was your eye which was sort of looking at this. And, and, and you, at first you thought, I don't know what I'm looking for. But then it, 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 it emerged to you that what you were looking for was something very immediate. And it was also related to the way you, you, your own process of working. In that's, right. Yeah. that's right. That's right. And, and so I, I was thinking that maybe um, considering your own working procedures that immediacy might um, suggest improvisation. But um, of course, immediacy is something which is a sensation in the beholder of the work. And improvisation is actually a, something which is to do with the procedure of working. So I was wondering if you could say something about the procedures that enable immediacy um, and, and enable a kind of evolving um, continuum of immediacy, uh, which is a diff another sort of challenge, I think. 
I think continuum is, is a key word to that um, in the sense of um, always painting with a small p rather than making a painting mm. and then making another painting mm. and making another painting. Mm. Um, single paintings come out of this ongoing activity and need to be resolved as individual works. Mm. But um, one very often leads to another and the questions are obviously why not do it like this? I'm thinking inside my head. And so um, they're, they're linked. But um, there are always parameters that I'm, uh, I, I have. And I'm, I'm, it's not a random activity. And so the immediacy or the improvisation comes within something, um, well, I suppose I'd call it experience. Um, so that was... That, that occurred to me when I was looking at some of the works that I selected from the collection, mm. um, that they were often quite quick studies for a painting that would in those days be called a salon painting that would be worked on in a much more sort of um, careful way. Mm. And yet they had um, a, a wonderful kind of completeness to them. So that... Um, I don't know if skill is the right word, not really, but that um, ability to conjure something quickly, it seemed to me, came out of years of experience. So it, it's a kind of paradox. Mm -hmm. And I think that perhaps applies, I'm not conscious of it in the studio, but I think that applies to the way I work, that um, there might be something that um, goes wrong with a painting, that's the way I would put it, but it's very necessary for that going wrong in order to be um, perhaps put right again. Um, and then I arrive at the painting. So, so I think we've, we've talked about this before, that um, you work through a process of investigation and exploration um, and you said making a mistake or something, but... Uh, I think you, the way you'd put it, have put it, is that stumbling on something can actually be a kind of strategy uh, for working forward. Um, it, 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 it might, um, you stumble on something and then discover this actually might be a painting without you having realized it before. It, it does happen that um, I might be uh, trying a few um, ways of working, I'll put it, not, I don't think in terms of technique, but mm. ways of working, mm. so that um, a little while ago, well, actually quite a while ago, I wanted to um, try to find out something about colour coming through colour rather than laying it on in a lateral side-by-side -side way. Mm. And all I knew really was that I was curious about that. I didn't have a grand idea for a painting about it or to do with that. So it was really um, a playing around with materials on the surface to see how different that would be from what I'd done before. Mm. And um, I did, I made these um, uh, experiments um, on things, you know, canvases, that paintings are made on. Um, so I suppose I was, in a way, um, 
painting, but I didn't think of it as making a painting. So um, every now and again, one of these uh, uh, kind of results of an experiment um, would, would um, it would give me a hunch that there was something more to it than an experiment. And I didn't quite know what until I'd had the time to recognize it as a painting. Mm. And that's something that can't be rushed um, mm. in, in my experience. So it could be a week or a month or three months. And it's not until that moment of recognizing it, which is simply me saying to myself and I see it there, that's a painting, mm. <laughs> that I think it's finished. Mm. So even though I haven't touched it in those three months, until I know that, I, I don't think of it as finished and complete. Uh, yeah, I, I remember you saying something like, um, I don't understand what the, quote, act of recognition is, but I believe in it. That's right, yeah. So. It's, it's certainly not a science, <laughs> a, a hunch. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. There's, um, I used to, when I was teaching, I used to talk to students sometimes about the hunch, or, you know, what, what is it? Um, and um, quoted as a kind of example, um, a painter, American painter, um, are dead now, one of the abstract expressionists, I suppose, looking for a, a sort of term, um, Adolf Gottlieb, um, who I, I was very keen on, well, still am, but I remember the you know, excitement of first discovering his work. And um, he, he was working initially in a kind of sort of hybrid form with surrealism it had, had inspired him, but also mm. cubism, uh, grids. So I'm sure many of you know his work. Um, and he was in the middle of this series called The Pictograms, uh, when almost out of the blue, at least this is what I kind of remember him, him writing about, um, he made a very simple painting, which was not square and not uh, landscape in format, but um, a, a portrait format, a vertical, uh, with two forms in it. And uh, according to his memory of, of this, uh, he didn't know what it was. He had no, no idea what he'd done, but he had a hunch about it. So mm -hmm. he didn't throw mm -hmm. it away. He didn't mm -hmm. destroy it. He put it to one side. And then um, I think he perhaps worked through the pictograms again for another couple of years and then began to work in this new format and remembered the original version. And I, I'm, in biblical terms, maybe it's the herald, you know, the one that comes mm. before. Or the Annunciation. The Annunciation, yeah. Um, and it's, this, it's the sort of thing that you can't um, will. <laughs> You can't will mm. into being. It, mm. it, it happens through practice, and um, mm. so it's sort of, I suppose. And and I don't think one can be even too self-conscious about watching for it. it it's it's just mm. um, being prepared to uh, accept that it that that it that it happens. It, was there a particular hunch that led to the um, profile portrait of a that? At the edge of edge, a, edge, edge of, of a, a portrait, portrait um, paintings in the other room. Yes, that, that's um, I've made. Um, that, that's the the wall facing the door as you come in. Uh, nearly all those. Um, I think there are eight of them mm. uh, from a series, of which there are many more. But those are the ones I picked out to sort of work together. 
Um, and I, I title things when they're finished. Um, so, you know, that's not really an exclamation, explanation of it, but um, they came about because I, I sort of acknowledged um, to myself that I, I really loved those Renaissance profile portraits. There's some in many of the great museums of the world, the sort of mid 15th century, often painted in Florence, that probably derive from um, medallions, the profiles on, on coins and medals. Um, Polaiolo, Piero, Piero um, yeah. uh, that, that group. Mm, mm. <laughs> um, there's one wonderful one in the National Gallery. I think that's Domenico. Can't remember his second name now. <laughs> um, anyway, um, it, it, it sort of occurred to me after a few years that I was always gravitating towards them and, and you know, just loved them. And I think when that happens, there's a kind of you know curiosity again sets in, and I, I wonder why. What what is it I'm so interested in? Mm. Um, and somehow um, history tells one some things about you know how they come into being. But I was interested in this, um, the format in relation to what I was struggling with perhaps in the studio at the time. And um, I mean, I sometimes do this when I'm telling people why, that, that this, this rather severe edge line that, that they give, um, but on a flat plane, which is the painting, it, it butts up against what is illusionistically behind. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes you get a bit of uh, an architecture or a room. Other times, the one in the National Gallery is just a beautiful blue. And so mm -hmm. there's something that goes from the top of the painting to the bottom, which is the profile, and then the, the blue, and then the, the face. So it's, it's both flat and spatial and with this kind of close butting together mm. of the two so that one... One form that they, I think you describe it, Martha, in, in some of your writing, is both a separation. I think, I, think, I think I said something like the inside of one form is the outside of another. That's it. And, yeah. and there's something very particular about the way that the, the two, when you're painting two shapes or two, a kind of conjunction of two uh, forms like that, that that um, there's something very sensitively done about the line separating them so that you feel that um, they may be very contrasting in color, but they exist very much on the same plane. Um, they're not positive and negative like that, that's right. background. That's right. Yeah, it's not a sort of continuous perceptual conundrum, conundrum mm. like what's whatever. Um, but I think what... Um, what, what I was sort of fa was finding difficult to explain to anybody else at, or even myself when I was first sort mm. of figuring out what I was interested in was that I didn't want to make a transcription of these works and I didn't want mm. to make work that sort of was a comment on them or, mm. or even an homage to them. Um, it, it was, but it did come from love of them <laughs> and then that it sort of led into analysis or maybe... Mm brought something up from into consciousness mm -hmm. about what might be useful in, in, in terms of what I was doing. Um, so the, the works, that series and even other series, although um, I might refer back to um, works in history, the sort of, you know, the 
the stream of, of art that one's always looking at, dipping into, um, that they're not that directly related. <laughs> well, I, I was very struck. Um, see, this wasn't a portrait by Piero, but um, a few months ago, um, I was in Monterchi and looking at the Madonna del Parto, um, and I thought the the which which has um, the Madonna standing on a huge scale in inside a tent, and the lining of the tent. I read afterwards, um, it consists of squirrel fur, and it, it the the fur comes out in these sort of brown and white stripes um, and then but what reminded me particularly of Malley's paintings and the ones that are next door were the, the, the stripes uh, meeting the sleeve of an angel coming up against them but the, 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 that kind of um, quality of continuity of surface was very and, and light coming through very very much like the, the, mm. the it's one of my favourite paintings yes. of all time. That one. <laughs> um, but there's nothing. Of course, there's nothing in your paintings. There's nothing. There are no literal references to that. No. But there's a quality of form which is very mm. um, similar. Um, so um, yes, this one theme that we kind of, whenever we're talking about this, we keep coming back to is this question of um, improvisation against a sort of overall strategy. And I've, I have a sort of sense that, um, that you, in some way, you're involved in kind of outsmarting your conscious intention. So you don't want, you don't want too much uh, of a, a, a feeling a kind of forward force in working, which is to do with um, a decision, I'm going to do this and then I'm going to do mm. that in a kind of sequence, something much more open. Uh, and um, I was very struck when I was sort of trying to prepare for this conversation with Mally. I did a bit of homework looking, and I looked at uh, an interview that you gave with the poet Tamar Yoslov in, in hmm. um, a magazine which is called Art World. And you said, uh, I keep on painting over and wiping back all day before it dries, revealing and hiding, discovering different groupings until I arrive at something I want to see or I have to start again. And then you went on to say, you. You, you put it to one side and wait until you understand it. In other words, you wait for your conscious self to catch up with it. And I, I, really, I really like the sound of that sort of um, way of working. It's sort of like the Gottlieb story in a way that um, one, um, one can be quite well prepared I'm astonished, actually, at the description of me being organized that I was given. <laughs> I know people in the audience who might not agree. But, um, but so there, there's, there's quite a lot that's known to me about mm. what I'm interested in, you know, at, at, the, at the moment. Mm. Um, 
but um, there's also quite a lot that's not known by me about how how I can work with it or get to it or and I like the relationship between the the knowing and the not knowing mm -hmm. and in mm -hmm. a way I can't imagine not having that um, tension um, mm. sometimes it's extremely uncomfortable tension mm. <laughs> feels sort of wretched uh, um, because of it not working or not finding yes um, yeah. and other times um, and other times things happen um, you know more quickly than I expect and and I mm -hmm. maybe have to learn to acknowledge that too mm. um, that they're always um, there are always things I'm. I know I'm interested in. With that's, I suppose that's what I'm calling the parameters. But um, when when things are going wrong, that um, that often makes possible the the making it go right. Uh, but but I I don't then know. You're sort of thrown into the position of having to recognize. Yes. A result rather and, than a yes. conscious engineering of a result. And, and also the, um, you have to be inventive about um, yeah. Um, yeah. what, you know, what, what might work. Mm. And, and, and then there's the surprise that that, that brings, mm. and which, mm. which I, uh, I, I sort of relish that. Mm. Um, mm. I mean, the surprises don't always look um, like what I'm, wanting <laughs> so i have to give them mm. time again that's that's that mm. sort of but they but those syndrome. surprises can lead to major shifts in your yes. work yes. i think and yeah. I, I was quite struck with another actually it was another thing that that um you had said in the interview with tammy um i'm interested in finding the color not placing it and then you say colors sit differently in space that way and I think with the, in that group of paintings, it's called the clearings, that you mm. call the clearings. This is wonderfully true, that this, the circle, I mean, we've been probably, they've been going <laughs> on behind us without us realizing it, but how that, that a, a circle, for example, sits in relation to the space and the light around it is very particular when you're finding it rather mm. than placing it. Can you can you say something mm. about what that process that, of finding that, is? That, that was um, or serious. what you call excavating, or is that, or is that different? Um, no, yeah. no, it, it's it's the same. Yeah, um, uh, that was a, a, a series of um, uh, experiments again, and, and and discoveries or failures and and discoveries. I I was um, some years ago now. Um, quite restlessly um, trying to figure out what it was that I didn't want to do. I mean, that's often how, you know, <laughs> one's led into finding out what, what, I, what I do want to do. So I didn't want to um, have a, a figure-ground relationship, forms, coloured forms floating across or laid across one colour, which was kind of what I'd been doing in a tradition I'd grown up in. And, um, in terms of abstract painting. And so that was what, at one point, gave me the idea of color coming through color rather mm. than mm. looking at it moving across. And, and um, so in order to make this happen, I mean, it's very, very mundane when, when I figure out how, what, 
what how to set up the experiment as it were. So that just meant putting down a color, letting it dry, putting another color on top of it, and while that was wet, that top layer, clearing it away to see what color looked like. So that mm. wasn't to me mm. painting a painting. It was just seeing what it was, how how color mm. could come through color, mm. and. Um, at this stage of uh, exploration, um, I have lots and lots of rectangles to do these things on because, first of all, they don't, it doesn't take long to do that. Secondly, if you have lots of them, you can make many variations from one to the other, and that tells me a lot about um, one in relation to another. And um, so that's um, quite a kind of exciting time in the studio when all these colored rectangles laid out and, and then um, one thing led to another and I picked out a, a, a painting that I thought had well it had failed it was um, but it, it, it was quite a complex painting and I put that top color over that instead of over one single color and started clearing not just once in the center in the central area, but mm. kind of all over. So I found all these sort of patches of color um, scattered across. And um, it, it seemed to me that um, as I cleared, the circular form came very naturally, um, because, I suppose just because of the way the wrist works or the, you know, the shoulder <laughs> and the body. Um, and that's that. It meant that the, the circle seems they, they moved in and out of space with great ease. Mm. Whereas I think if the, it had been a gesture that I'd made, that would have been that would have had a sort of directional thrust, taking your eye that mm. But the circles kind of so they seemed very happy. Placing. Yes. And well, no, the placing finding. I would have, I was meaning when I said placing, I was mm. meaning mixing up a colour and putting it on yeah, quite. another yeah, colour. Yeah. yeah. So this was digging through the colour mm, to mm. get to the colour below. Mm. And because of the circular form and because the colour was excavated, mm. somehow it gave this it, uh, um, a, a really fluid sort of in and out feeling, mm. like a dance of, of mm. colour mm. in space. Because there's something um, very particular about the what the process enables you to do, I think, because you, you said um, that you, you have to lay it down in, in the first instance. So, and then it will have to be discovered, as you're covering that, mm. it'll have to be discovered at a later stage. Mm. And I th um, that suddenly had a huge resonance for me because I was thinking, well, it made me, it made me think of uh, memory. Mm. It made me think of the relationship between um, something in the past which has been lost, been covered over, and then how a memory might rise to the surface again and mm. then be kind of knitted into a whole new context of relationships. And of course, that reminded me quite a lot about writing and about how that metaphor mm. might kind of be created by a collision. Mm. of different contexts that have just sort of risen up and come, in, come into being. Mm. Um, but I was also very struck with um, this, the question of how <coughs> things come to be integrated 
with each, with each other because when you're, when you're uncovering something, you don't know quite what, how it's going to relate to what you've actually got on mm. the surface. It's, mm. It can I, come as a surprise. I, th I, th I think that's linked again to the um, not knowing and not knowing. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and, and, um, and, and everything that you say about memory, I remember when you talked about the parallels with writing, how I identified with that. Mm. Um, um, I, I know what I'm putting down. I don't take photographs of, of the stages because I, I don't want to remember <laughs> what I've got there. Mm. Um, and um, I, I suppose I was figuring out that if I had the palette of colours, that the range of colours in this patchwork across, mm. I knew, I kind of knew what the possibility for ultimately arriving at some colour relationships would be because they were those could be six colours or 25 colours. Mm -hmm. um, so you have a, a, a sense of something. And then it seems almost perverse. And I know some of my painter friends that I, I was talking to about this new direction thought it was a bit sort of mad to, to, to just completely destroy it, to paint over it. Mm. But I knew that while that covering uh, colour was still wet, I would, I would dig for the, the colour. Mm. And I sort of remembered that there might have been a red up there and a blue down there, but there was a lot <laughs> that by now I would have forgotten. Mm. And so the, the, the kind of constellations of, of colour as they appeared, um, I would never get get it straight away, the, mm. the five or the three or the 12. Um, so I just had to keep painting over. Mm. But if I, wanted to, if I wanted to get back to that yellow, I, knew, I kind of knew where it was. <laughs> and if, if I wanted to get rid of the blue, I would not. So, so there was this um, almost tripping myself up mm. in, in mm. order to be surprised. But it wasn't the surprise of, you know, kind of, rushing in with with no plan at all and throwing a bucket of paint on it <laughs> with the with the um just come coming closer to the present in terms of the development of your work with the the introduction of a, a very flexible kind of grid um as a method or as a procedure with that how does that relate to what you've been just been saying really about well, discovering with, relationships and with hindsight and in a way I only you know I'm only sort of I can only articulate what 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 they are with hindsight in mm. a sense um I mean I know when I think a painting's finished and but it, it takes a while to link it with six others or, um, mm. or the way that things are evolving um so with hindsight I would say that the the first um experiments with one color and then another on top of that, which was cleared in a central way, because that, that gave rise to quite a, quite a lot of paintings. Um, and then the discovery of putting the paint on something multicolored and finding many constellations rather than one. Mm. Um, there was a point when I thought, well, I haven't, I, I'm going to run out of the failed paintings in the studio to so I'll, I'll i'll make i'll make some new not failed paintings but i'll make some new patchworks of color mm -hmm. so i 
I mean, there's a, there are books written about the grid and the implication of the grid and painting. And I never really um, sort of immersed myself in that. I don't think of them as grids, although they are in a sense. Um, but I think of them as patchworks of colour. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And it seemed sensible at first just to make them as straightforwardly as possible. So they were even sized squares or rectangles. Mm. And then I started playing around with um, uh, uneven relationships of different sizes mm -hmm. and so on. I remember you saying in one of these interviews that, 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 that um, you were astonished at how an inert object like a painting could be a source of light and how colors can actually yes, that's, that's generate light. I, I realize that we've now, we've only oh. got about 10 minutes. But, okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, we had a clock there, but we, we, have have, clock, we haven't but been we're not, looking at we're it. We're not paying very much attention to it. And we want to leave some time for questions. Um, I'd also like, just like to mention Mally's book again, which um, you're all invited to um, buy, <laughs> <laughs> to put it bluntly. And she'll be very happy to sign um, in the, in the, in the, in the uh, Gallery X. In Gallery X. So, yeah. Thank you all for coming. Yes. Yeah, really, thank you. <laughs>